I'm here to represent uh, environment, uh, represent science a bit, and also to present a book to one of you, James Watson. So, James, afterwards, I have something for you. Uh, it seems to me the, the, the great, uh, wonderful energy of, of this Academy of Achievement is always the interaction between uh, the students and the rest of us. So I'm only going to make two points and then throw it open for questions. Uh, the first point I'd like to make is <clears throat> some people will come to me interested in the environment and say, you know, should I study biology? And the point is uh, environment is not, not just about science. You can contribute uh, as a lawyer. You can contribute as a poet. Uh, we all have an obligation to contribute to the solution of the environmental challenges as individuals, uh, as corporations, uh, and as voters. Uh, so it's really the agenda for all of us, each with our own talents and perspectives. Uh, and it is seriously enriched when all those perspectives communicate with one another, and then it becomes much more effective. Uh, second point I want to make is you, you usually hear about environmental bad news. It seems to make better copy in the newspapers or whatever. Uh, but there have been extraordinary achievements, and just in the Amazon alone, and in my span of working there, uh, the Brazilian two-thirds of it, which is equivalent to two-thirds of the 48 states, has gone from having one national forest uh, to a situation today when a commitment is fulfilled that means that 40 percent of the Brazilian Amazon will be under some form of protection. Uh, so a lot has been done and a lot can be done. Uh, at the same time, we do need to just be very frank and face the scale of the problems we're dealing with in terms of the threat to life on Earth, uh, issues of climate change, and with respect to the latter, uh, if we do not get creative about changing our energy base uh, on this planet, uh, there will be serious biological disruption and coral reefs will virtually be gone in your lifetimes. But the point is, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, and I'm a, I am a deep believer in human creativity in figuring out new ways to live more sustainably with our environment. So with those initial remarks, I would just rather have an interaction uh, with any of you. Hi. Thank you for being here. My name is Guido Meardi. I come from MIT Sloan. I have a question about the recent events uh, with the U.S. pulling out of the uh, Kyoto Treaty, and I was wondering if you have any recommendation for how <laughs> to solve the problem. Well, let me say two or three things about uh, Kyoto. Uh, first of all, there is some justifications of both sides of that argument. Uh, but I personally believe that uh, as the number one greenhouse gas emitter, uh, that the United States has particular responsibility in environmental leadership in the world. I mean, it just you think just about the numbers, a lot of things won't happen unless we grapple with it. 
And in addition, I think there will be a disinclination of others to grapple with the problems unless there is U.S. leadership. The other point I would like to make to you, uh, even though the Kyoto targets are important first steps, they're really trivial compared to where we need to get. Uh, so it's important to look beyond those goals uh, and to eventually uh, reach some limit in greenhouse gas concentrations. We need to actually define what the limit is. Uh, until we know what that limit should be, we simply do not know how hard to try. And my guess is, looking at it through biological glasses, is that it's somewhat shy of double the pre-industrial levels of CO2, uh, which we're likely to reach the, the double pre-industrial uh, around mid-century. So the time to be doing stuff about this is right now. Yes. Hi, my name is Nilo Day. Um, I'm from Canada, studying at Oxford, and I do conservation research in Ecuador. Um, what I'm curious about is where you see the um, interplay between policy, um, advocacy, and hard science in the conservation area. Um, I find it hard as, as someone who is a conservation scientist to know where I should be on that spectrum because, you know, I'm very interested. Obviously, I'm not a completely disengaged researcher. I'm very interested in the preservation of the species and habitats that I look at, but I don't know where I should stand in terms of being someone who just simply presents empirical evidence or whether I need to fight for the areas that I think should be conserved. Well, you, you raise a really important point. Um, number one, you know, when you're doing science, you just have to let the results come out the way they come out. Uh, and contrary to some critics of people who do environmental science, you know, we are really delighted when we discover that something is not as big a problem as we thought. I mean, uh, why work on something when you don't need to? Uh, the, the point about the interface with policy uh, and advocacy uh, is, in fact, a very interesting one. Uh, and having contributed to the uh, founding of the science of conservation biology, uh, one of the things that puzzled me, uh, although it's beginning to change, is actually how few biologists actually were willing to get engaged. And last night we were in the National Gallery. My uh, late father-in-law was the first curator of sculpture there. He was in Renaissance art. Uh, and in the 60s, uh, there was a big flood in Florence, which endangered many of the great treasures of the Renaissance. And all the art historians immediately joined together, formed a committee for the rescue of Italian art. Uh, so I, I am quite surprised that there is not a larger number of biologists concerned about the very wherewithal with which they study biology uh, disappearing. Now, I, I guess I have played all the three roles uh, you referred to. I, I've 
do hard science. I continue to do hard science. There are people working on my Amazon research program, uh, which I do with Brazilian colleagues. Uh, this very day, they're out in the forest collecting data. Uh, but we're also, you know, we're also, as individuals, we're citizens. And it is perfectly appropriate for one to sort of step aside from being the scientists crunching the numbers and say, I think these data imply this kind of problem or this kind of solution. I think that's a totally appropriate thing to do. In fact, if biologists don't do it, how are we going to get it right? Um, the third point about advocacy versus interface with policy is, is the more slippery one. Uh, because it really is a gradient. And just by saying, you know, my, I think my science indicates we should do so and so, that's a form of advocacy in itself. Uh, and I think you have to decide where on that gradient you want to be, whether you want to be towards the partisan end of it, uh, or even further. Uh, and in this country, there's a organization called the Rainforest Action Network, uh, which is fairly uh, strident in advocacy uh, in its approach. Uh, often, I think, they get their facts wrong. But the truth is, I'm grateful they exist, because they make me seem reasonable. <laughs> OK, thank you.